Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to the second hour of our broadcast. I am very happy to welcome a special guest joining me. My friend Chris Jones is on the line. Chris, welcome to Loving Liberty. Thank you, Brian. Always happy to be here. Now, Chris, I, I, I'm going to ask you to toot your own horn a little bit, but I want you to know, uh, when, when someone describes themselves as a freelance educator, that opens up <laughs> a whole bunch of possibilities. Uh, talk about some of the hats that you wear and, and help our audience understand uh, who you are and what you do. All right, I'll uh, do my best with that. So um, a little bit of background. I, um, I got out of college. I graduated in classical civilization, Roman history. Um, and so, of course, uh, employers were lining up around the block to offer me lucrative six-figure jobs <laughs> in uh, recounting for them the reign of Diocletian. So um, finding myself in, a, in that position where I, I had a degree that I thoroughly enjoyed but was on a practical, from a practical standpoint, more or less useless, uh, I started looking around for opportunities. And so I have uh, bounced around in financial markets. I sold stocks for a while, uh, mutual funds. I did some insurance work. Um, I ran a presidential campaign. Um, I, I've been sort of all over the map. I ran a dot-com thing until that uh, all went bust at the beginning of the millennium and uh, so on and so forth. So everywhere that I went, kind of everything that I did, uh, I've got eight children, and so we were uh, heavily involved in their education, what they were learning, the kinds of things that um, they were being told in school, which were, uh, and I know this will come as a shock to your listeners, sometimes not entirely accurate. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and in looking at that stuff, uh, I kept reading and studying and thinking about it. Education is a gigantic industry in, uh, in the United States. But it's, it's even bigger than people think it is. It's not, you, can, you can measure it on a dollar basis, but um, the impact of the school year is what I like to point out when people are like, well, education is just not that important. Uh, but you can see it in, just in, in terms of traffic. When it's a school holiday, traffic is much lighter. I mean, people regulate their lives based on you know, what's going on in school. Uh, and then one, so when one day one of my uh, close friends said, hey, we're putting a private school together, we would love to have you teach, and you're always in our bookstore reading about Roman history and stuff, would you like to do an ancient history class? And I, I said, well, I swore when I uh, was growing up that I would never be a teacher, so uh, are you going to pay me? And uh, the answer was yes, and so uh, from that point on, that's been about 10 years now, um, I've been involved in education one way or another, um, and the last five years, four or five years, I've been uh, a full-time freelance educator. The best way that I can explain this is I, I, have a, uh, I have a horse and a cart and a sign, and I drive into town, and I hang out my shingle, and I say, who wants to learn stuff? And uh, then kids come and learn stuff from me. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. It's a homeschool co-ops, private, public, charter, every kind of school you can think of. Um, I've been all through that. 
and uh, and a few years ago also uh, started writing books along with that, both fiction and nonfiction. So I have several titles out um, in uh, in that arena as well, including a ghostwriting project that I cannot tell you uh, the name of, but which I'm I'm quite confident <laughs> that a significant chunk of your uh, listeners have in their house right now. Um, Interesting. It's kind of fun. It's been, a, it's been a ton of fun to do. Well, you're very good at piquing my curiosity as well. And, and I think the last time, I believe the last time we actually had you on this program was uh, you had just released your book um, about the Harmon Brothers advertising yes, right. firm. Uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, from poop to gold? That's right. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> from Yeah, uh, which is uh, not really about poop, uh, but there's a fair amount of gold in it. Uh, the book has sold uh, quite well. We've been uh, I've been very pleased at uh, at its reception, um, and since then I've gone on to write uh, several more. So um, it's that that part it seems to dovetail pretty well with uh, the education stuff that I do, and um, has kind of has the, the two things work together. I study things with my students, and that gives me ideas for things to write, and then I write things, and that gives me ideas to discuss with my students. So. Seems to work together pretty well. Well, and one of the reasons that I have Chris on the show today, this is for for my audience. I want you to know Chris is a very positive person. And regularly when I see his posts on Facebook, they are not of a bitter, complaining, you know, raging nature. They're they're usually a very positive, um, often fun uh, way of looking at things. And right now that can be a little bit of a challenge given, Mm. you know, some of the things going on around us. So Chris is here today specifically to talk about some of the opportunities that may be arising if we are inclined to look for them in spite of all the, the bad things that are going on. Is that, is that confusing, the way I said that, Chris? Uh, not to me, but then you prepped me beforehand, so I knew what was coming. Um, yeah, I, uh, look, I'm not ignorant of the situation that we're in. Um, from, a, from a health crisis standpoint, um, I am... I'm calling the top right now uh, in, in Utah, which is where I, I live and I'm uh, most familiar with, but I'm calling the top of the viral spread right now. Uh, I think from this point on, our numbers are going to be declining, and um, we will never have reached the peak, the, the peak of even the most conservative projections. Nevertheless, um, it's a, there's no question that it's a health crisis, and worldwide you have um, we've seen unprecedented response to this, uh, and and the fact that this disease turns out um, almost certainly to be significantly less deadly than we originally had feared is wonderful and should be viewed as a as an unmitigated positive. But the uh, response, the governmental response to the disease is going to create challenges that I think are going to be far more significant and more difficult to deal with than the disease itself. Um, having spent a bunch of time, and thank you for saying that, that you know, I'm, I'm a positive guy. I guess I do all my moaning and complaining in private to my wife. Um, uh, but I do try to do that because it doesn't advance anything. Um, if my a given moment to try to make things get better, um, then having a clear-eyed view of how things actually are without overlaying any gloom and doom seems uh, kind of a necessary part of the 
of the operation. I'm not as good at that as I wish I were, but I'm glad that at least uh, in public it looks like that, because I really am very optimistic about the, the opportunities that are going to present themselves. We're going to go through a hard time. There's no question. Economically, this is going to be a very, very difficult year, and I think that the pain of it is going to extend into next year as well. But with chaos comes opportunity, and I think there are some tremendous opportunities out there, maybe in some places that wouldn't in, at, at first blush seem like good, um, good places for those opportunities to grow. Now, we're a couple minutes away from our first break here, but Chris, one area that you and I had discussed earlier this week was that for people who write, and, and I'm mm. going to, I'm in fact, I'm going to take it beyond just writing. For people who want to get the truth out there or want to, uh, want to share truth as they understand it, these are actually very good times in the sense that a lot of the barriers that have traditionally stood in our way seem to be falling away. Absolutely right. That's absolutely correct. There's never been a better time to be a creative, and, and I, I use the word creative because I, I'm including uh, people who write fiction, people who write nonfiction, people who paint, people who draw, people who, uh, regardless of what the thing is that they, uh, that they create, there's never been a better time than there is now, and I really believe that the, the impact of this virus is actually going to make those opportunities greater than they've ever been. Well, and this, this is something that is near and dear to my heart because I want to speak truth on a daily basis. I, I, I write truth as I best understand. And, and sometimes, you, you alluded to this earlier, having a clear-eyed view of the world is hard to do, when there's, especially if there's a lot of dramatic stuff going on, uh, without becoming a Debbie Downer. Sure, which is, it, this is always the situation. And one of the things that's really helped me um, is studying Stoic philosophy and, and looking at Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, um, Seneca, uh, again, back to my Romans, uh, people who were in often fairly similar circumstances. Marcus Aurelius was the Roman emperor during the Antonine Plague, which came out of China, baffled doctors, killed people by the scores, um, and then hung around for 15 years. Wow. And so here's a guy who's actually been in a situation that's not terribly different from the one that I'm in. And uh, I find that I, I can learn a tremendous amount from looking at his response, not on a governmental level necessarily, but on a personal level. Okay, we've got to take a quick break. Chris Jones is my guest, and we will be back just the other side of these messages. This is Loving Liberty. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. My guest is Chris Jones. He may modestly describe himself as a freelance educator, but uh, Chris, you are a problem solver, and that's one of the reasons I have you on the show today. I wanted to, to particularly pick your brain about some of the opportunities for writers now that uh, things are shifting, and it's not just the coronavirus. This shift has been taking place for a while, mm -hmm. but it's really kicked into high gear. Talk to me about some of the opportunities people might not see if, if, they, if they weren't looking a little more carefully. Okay. Um, well, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, about six, seven months ago, 
Um, I, I've been writing for a long time. I was looking at the big five, looking at how the publishing industry was working. And it just seemed to me that there's a lot of just rank stupidity out there in terms of how, uh, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I would love to say it gently, but I really can't. In terms of how um, publishing companies and, by extension, authors were trying to reach their markets, trying to, trying to reach people who would be interested in the things that they have to write. I go to a lot of writing conferences. Uh, I love these people, and uh, it's, it's my tribe. You know, when we walk in and there's a class on the um, HVAC systems of starships, like that's 100% my group, right? I, I, I am riveted by this stuff. Um, and, um, but it seemed to me that there was a lot of innovation going on in how to uh, maybe market on Facebook, how to um, uh, put together newsletter lists and build audience for books. And then all of this was being delegated to Amazon for fulfillment and data collection. And it just seemed this was seemed dumb to me. Um, I, you know, I love Amazon. I have the, the Amazon Prime open spigot uh, in, you know, in my wallet as well. But I thought that there were opportunities out there to do some things differently, to connect with people in a different way, and that Amazon's model for how they were working with authors, um, while it was better than working with, say, Simon & Schuster, was still, it seemed to me, antiquated and outdated, and I felt like I didn't really need Amazon at all in the way that Amazon perceived that I did. So I founded a publishing company. And, uh, yes, that's right, in the middle of the uh, greatest collapse of publishing companies in the history of Western civilization, I decided it was a good time to open a publishing company. Well, it turns out it really was a good time to open a publishing company because the opportunities that have exploded in multimedia uh, are unprecedented. So just, just as an example, okay, most writers, uh, they think of what they have to say in book form. I have a book here. I mean, I'm going to write, um, uh, if you're Jared Diamond, you write a book called Collapse, about how civilizations fall. Or you write um, a book about the greatest uh, conspiracy theories in world history. Or you write a book about, I don't know, you're Brandon Sanderson, and you write a book about whatever the heck he wants to write a book about. Um, because people will read that. Okay, so you have this property, and you think of it as a book. But really, if you want to, if you consider it from a little bit of a different perspective, it's not a book. It's a piece of what they call intellectual property. So it could be plushy dolls. It could be audio books. It could be television, movies, radio plays, anything that you can, t-shirts, any amusement parks, anything you can think of that people might want to use to engage with this product of your imagination is what that it is the product of the imagination is the, actually the opportunity and how that gets expressed is entirely up to you it used to be that if you wanted to make a movie about your uh piece of intellectual property about your the characters that you draw in your sketch pad when you should be doing math or the uh essays that you've collected on the value of free speech and how that's being um, abrogated by governments across the globe, whatever it happens to be, there's a way to get that product to people that doesn't have to go through multi-million dollar corporations anymore. 
you can directly reach the people that are most interested in what you have to say without having to go through a gatekeeper. And I think a lot of those opportunities have been missed, especially with the people that I talk to who are fiction writers and who want to have their book on a bookshelf. But there are no bookshelves, except in people's homes now. There are no major bookstores left. There are, they're, they're either bankrupt or this uh, coronavirus is going to make sure that they end up that way. Your major book launch at a major bookstore chain, that's not happening. But does that mean that people can't consume your product? Heck no. Why don't you put together a radio play? Why don't you do what you're doing where you're finding ways to take your product? For instance, Brian is proof. What you're trying to do is get people to think about the truth. Well, maybe they do that by listening to this podcast. Maybe they do it by engaging with you in a back-and-forth debate. Maybe they read something you wrote. Um, maybe they're engaging with you on social media, or they're engaging with you in a, in a fixed medium where you're broadcasting to them. But you have all of these opportunities, and you don't need anybody's permission to go after them. You don't need a license. You don't need anybody to uh, wave a magic wand and say that it's okay. You can just do it. And if it doesn't work today, you can do something else tomorrow. There has never been a time in human history where you could do that. I love it. Now, see, my audience members are they're nodding their heads going, I can see why Brian wanted to talk to Chris today. Uh, there's, there's so much negativity, so much bad news, and, and this is not to minimize that there are serious things that we should take serious going on around us. But, Chris, I love how you can focus on there are also good things, and, and a person who is looking for those good things is going to find them, just like a person who's looking for the sour things is likely to find them. Absolutely, absolutely. One of my favorite stories about this, actually, I was thinking about this as we were talking during the break, and, and we were talking about keeping your head up during uh, a time of crisis, keeping, keeping your eye on the horizon, keeping, uh, keeping yourself looking for the solution. A, a wise man once told me that it's the coolest head in the room that finds the way out when there's a crisis. And, and I really believe that, but I remember um, a, a terrific movie uh, from a few years back, Apollo 13. And in this movie, Tom Hanks, who plays uh, Commander Jim Lovell, who was the commander of the, of the Apollo 13 spacecraft, he was a, uh, a pilot, and he tells a story about flying back to his aircraft carrier at night. And he'd been shot up, and the plane was malfunctioning, and he was trying to read his map and trying to figure out where on Earth this aircraft carrier could be. He was running low on fuel, and he knew that if he didn't find it fairly soon, he was going to have to ditch in the ocean, and he would almost certainly die. And at a critical moment, his cockpit lights shorted out while he was trying to read this map. And he thought, oh, that's great. That's just the last <laughs> thing that I need is my cockpit lights have now shorted out. But because his cockpit lights shorted out, it was so dark, he could look out the window of his cockpit and see below him a trail of bioluminescence, the kind that you get when a big ship is churning up a lot of the top layer of the ocean. And it was, in fact, the aircraft carrier. And there was this carpet of bioluminescence leading him directly to the deck of the aircraft carrier. And he was able to land safely, and, and uh, his life was saved. But how often, Brian, in our lives do we end up in that kind of a situation where we have this plan, this is what we're going to do, we're going to take this particular action, and then it is suddenly and 
often cataclysmically closed off to us. We cannot go that way anymore. Um, Marcus Aurelius in his meditations has a, has a little quote that I love in there where he says, that which impedes the action advances the action. That which stands in the way becomes the way. Wow. Uh, Ryan Holiday's excellent book, The Obstacle is the Way, gets into this a little more, uh, a little more completely. But it was, in fact, for Jim Lovell, the thing that obstructed what he wanted to do that actually made it possible for him to succeed. I really believe that this virus has given us opportunities we would not have had. And it, it doesn't have to be this virus. It could be a job loss because of the governmental reaction. It could be, um, uh, it could be a, an illness or a divorce. Chris, hold that be... thought for just a second. Well, I've got to take a break. Would you mind sticking around for another segment? Could you please? Um, I believe I can make that work, yeah. Okay. All right. We'll be back with Chris Jones, just the other side of these messages. Trusted voices of truth and insight. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. My guest is Chris Jones. And Chris, I hate to hang on to you like like a, a clingy sweater here but i i am i am so enthused by the the way that you are uh the, the way you're describing the opportunities around us and uh, maybe i'm the one who really needed to hear this if that's the case well you know for sure you've you have uh, definitely nudged someone in the right direction today but i want to talk a little bit about something that i know you're very familiar with and that is stoicism and mm. for, for people who aren't familiar with the stoics um Tell us a little bit about uh, what is the philosophy, when we hear that word stoic, what does that refer to? Okay, well, um, there's actually a couple of answers to that. The academic answer is that stoicism is a branch of philosophy uh, that originated in, uh, with uh, Greek and Roman philosophers. It's very difficult to separate the two. Um, that um, is a... It's, it, it has been characterized as being godless, um, a reliance on man's own abilities to deal with the crises of life, a rejection of what they perceived as the sentimentality of uh, a life after death or, or considering that as a significant factor in your, uh, in your day. But I, as I read the Stoics, I don't actually feel like that's an accurate description. And we're reading a lot, of course, fragments of of their philosophy. We don't have a chance to sit down and talk to them directly, but reading the fragments of things that they left behind, often things that they probably would not have selected to have left behind, um, you can get a little bit of a different sense for their attitude. Stoicism in the modern sense has become a uh, sort of a willingness to deal with what must be dealt with uh, and to continue on one's way regardless of the things that life throws at you. As I, I told my, um, uh, one of my junior high classes, as I was talking them, uh, to them, stoicism boils down to three things. See clearly, judge rightly, and act boldly. And, and I feel like that, for me at least, is a summation of the stoic philosophy that um, I've been uh, benefited by. And it's the kind of thing that allows me to I guess, make the best of whatever situation it is that I find myself in. 
And often I find, and we were talking about this during the break as well, that um, the situation I find myself placed in opens for me opportunities that I wouldn't have considered if I hadn't been involuntarily placed in those positions. And often I will end up having something better happen to me than what I had originally planned. I would never have seen if the disaster or whatever the perceived negative thing uh, is had happened to me. So uh, that's that's what I would would um, how I would describe Stoic philosophy, at least in the modern age. Well, and something that I would like to to get you to further expand on is how this changes a person's ability to to adapt and to to roll with the punches. Look, I'm somebody who fought change. With, you know, tooth and nail, every inch of the right. way. Uh, nothing is going to change, and I'm going to make it so. And, and, cha- and change one every single time. <laughs> but there came, yep. a, there came a point where I realized the change is going to come. So the one place where I have control is I can control how I will react to that change. And when, that- when I adopted more of a stoic approach, looking at it as, okay. Uh, and what really kicked me off on this was uh, I got laid off about nine years ago, very unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you know, um, hey, look, uh, here's somebody from the main office, and boom, 10 minutes later, I'm kicking a pebble down the street. Right. But it's the first time in my life, and by the way, I credit great books of Western civilization and that that liberal arts education with opening my mind to there are more possibilities here than what I might have otherwise considered. And so when I started looking at it as, okay, you have not been fired, you have been liberated to find the next opportunity (laughs) that's waiting for you. And, uh, yes, which is often mocked as corporate speak, but yeah, there's some truth to it. Well, and 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 it may be also mocked as well. You're in denial, or you're just you know you're trying to spin this you know in a positive way. But I genuinely embraced it. I was at peace with okay, this was unexpected. Yeah, it kind of sucks, but here goes. There's got to be something better. And I started looking through that lens of what is the next great opportunity. And as I related to you in the break. I found myself overwhelmed within just a few days, not because I was out of work and struggling with what am I going to do, but simply because so much opportunity was coming at me that I was actually struggling to take it all in. That, here's, a, here's a proposition for you, Brian. Here's something that you, we might want to think about when we sit down and, and, and talk in person again when, when and if that will uh, become possible. Um, I would hypothesize with you that that is the situation all the time, that opportunities are flying at you in greater quantities than you can possibly catch all the time. And you're just not usually in a frame of mind where you are willing to look up, reach out, and grab them. And I'm not picking on you specifically. I think this is true for everyone. Uh, My mother used to tell me that no matter what university I went to, there, were, there was more knowledge in their library than I could possibly assimilate in a lifetime. And I found that to be correct. And I also found that that applies to these kinds of opportunities. There are more different ways of going about living my life than I could possibly in a thousand lifetimes ever take advantage of. And some of those things are going to be even better for uh, advancing my life in the direction that I want to go than whatever plan I happened to have when I woke up in the morning. Very often, this is, um, I, I wrote a, an article about the promised land uh, on Medium a couple of weeks ago. It was a fairly popular article. My study of the promised land, I, mean, I don't really care what the promised land looks like, what's it made of, or where is it. 
But one thing that seems to me in all ancient literature is that when people are driven out of place A, they don't want to go. But if they go with a glad heart and they look to their God for direction, he will bring them to a place that's even better than the place that they were. And Maybe they don't want to go, and maybe um, they will fight against it. I, heaven knows I have several times in my life. But nearly always, if I will say, all right, if I'm being driven to someplace better, how can I live my life in such a way that I am worthy of the blessings of that place, wherever those blessings happen to be? I love it. I love it. Now, um, we're down to a couple minutes here before we got to go to our final break here. But, Chris, um, first of all, where can people find your writings? You mentioned Medium. Okay. Are, are there other places, outlets where they can, can find you? Yes. Um, on Medium, I am at alias Mr. C. Uh, Mr. C is my, I guess is my kids call it my superhero name. Uh, when I teach uh, school, uh, all the kids call me Mr. C. So uh, that's sort of like the brand. Uh, you can find me, the website needs a lot of updating, at um, aliasmrc.com. The best place to get books and those kinds of things that I've written is probably dramaticpress.com. That's dramatic, only like you had a stuffed-up nose. So D-R-A-B-A-T-I-C, dramaticpress.com. Um, and those are probably the best ways. You could Google Chris Jones if you wanted to, but good luck with that, uh, because finding me will be... Uh, complex. You talk about hiding in plain sight. That's a name you can use to do that. Okay. Now, one final question for you, and, and this is based on what we've been talking about in this segment, about that, that ability to, to look and see with a glad heart, even though things have changed. Maybe this isn't the path I would have chosen, but here I am. Are there any things that jump out to you in, in terms of uh, some of the unexpected blessings that you've recognized in your life because of the shutdown or the, you know, uh, stay-at-home orders or anything, any of the other inconveniences we're putting up with? Sure. Um, a couple things occur immediately. Um, the, we've been told for the last probably 10 or 15 years, uh, you can't work from home. Your job won't be successful if you do that. That is, that lie has now been completely exposed. Um, yes, you can work from home. Um, we've been told by uh, broadcasters and net-based net broadcasters there's just not enough bandwidth to handle all of the uh, capacity. If everybody wants to stream video at the same time, bullcrap. Obviously, there's plenty of bandwidth because everybody is streaming Netflix constantly now, and there appears to be <laughs> plenty of that. If there, were more, if there were a lot of serious lag going on, you would see that showing up on Facebook and people complaining, but they're not. Um, so I think opportunities in delivery of content online is, are exploding in ways we've never seen before. You are going to see uh, opportunities in commercial real estate. We can see commercial real estate small and workforces that are working with staggered schedules. I think you're going to see that uh, as a big deal. I think there will be opportunities in e-sports that have maybe never existed. There are millions of people discovering that there are still games being played and sporting contests going on. They're just all electronic, and that some of these are at least as interesting and maybe more interesting than some of the games that we've been playing for, say, the last two or three centuries. Um, crud. Opportunities in publishing, in education. I, can't, I don't have time to that's, start talking about all the possible actually, uh, opportunities that's, in education. That's but if a, you look, you will find them. 
that's a good place for us to, to pull up and stop there. Chris Jones, thank you. Thank you, my friend. This has been a great conversation. I look forward to the next time we get to chat. My sincere pleasure, Brian. Thank you very much. All right, our final segment of the show coming up here in just a few moments. This is Loving Liberty. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. Man, I'll tell you, it's days like today that I just absolutely love what I do. And I and it's because of great guests like, like Chris Jones. And there's also just a lot of really interesting and cool stuff to talk about, too. And I, I grant you, not everything... Is, is of a pleasant and, and you know, soft on your ears kind of nature. Some of it, uh, you know, there's there are hard truths. And, uh, you know, just for the record, can I just tell you, I, I see my purpose as I sit behind this microphone and hold forth every day. I see my purpose as, as a trusted voice of truth and light. Not because I have cornered the market on either one of those commodities, but because I feel a duty. I feel, I feel a sacred responsibility to the best of my knowledge and to the best of my understanding to share truths that will empower people, inspire them to, to uh, more clearly see the world, more clearly see themselves, and recognize the influence that they have wherever they happen to be standing at that moment. Now, sometimes that means I have to cover some, some hard truths, and that's, that's never fun. Nobody really wants to be the bringer of bad news. Some people have made very lucrative careers out of bringing bad news, some out of exaggerating bad news. I'm just trying to see it as it is. But above all, my goal is that you should always have a sense of hope when things are done. And it's with that same sense of hope that I want to share with you a very, um, I want to say the word provocative. Perhaps there's a better word for it. A very moving essay by Grayson Quay. This was published on intellectualtakeout.org. Christ and the Nazi officer. And I think it gets to the heart of a problem that I'm seeing play out before us in real time. About, uh, well, you know, people who want to be good, you know, they uh, they have to have the right PR. If they're not doing it in such a way that their public relations are, are you know, like widely accepted, then they're not having any effect. And I could not disagree more strongly. Listen to what Grayson Quay says, and and I'm, I'm telling you, I think he makes a pretty good case here. He says, Christians we often hear are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Now, to be sure, there's some validity to this criticism. Plenty of Christians allow their faith in divine providence to override their responsibility to care for the world and for their neighbor. The way in which many Christians automatically dismiss all ecological concerns as bleeding heart liberal nonsense provides one example. Taken to the extreme, this attitude views the world as a sinking ship, and the only thing that matters is a spot on the heavenly lifeboat. There are, however, other extremes to be feared. Those who look only to this world are often far more dangerous than those who despise it. And I like the example he uses here. In a 2019 debate between psychology professor Jordan Peterson and Marxist philosopher Slavoj Zizek, Peterson made his customary appeal to individual responsibility and obedience to conscience. Try to tell the truth, or at least don't lie. Now, Zizek was more skeptical. 
Identifying himself as a pessimist, Zizek questioned the power of the individual to resist evil when confronted with an ideology that calls evil good. He responded, the danger here is that totalitarian ideologies step in at this point and tell you that the true greatness is to do what you think is wrong for the higher cause. And as an example, Zizek paraphrased Heinrich Himmler, the leader of Hitler's fanatical private army, the SS. In order to motivate his officers who ran the Reich's concentration camps and organized mass executions across occupied Europe, Himmler told them, that every idiot can do something great, sacrifice himself for his country. But it takes a truly great man to be ready to lose his soul and to do horrible things for his country. End quote. Or to use Himmler's own words rather than Zizek's paraphrase, it is the curse of the great man to step over corpses. Whew. See, it's nobler, according to Himmler's reasoning, to achieve something by doing evil than to achieve nothing by doing good. Now, Zizek attributed a similar ideology to Soviet political officers who instructed soldiers that when called upon to enact Stalin's policy of forced starvation, they should ignore their guilty feelings of bourgeoisie sentimentality. It was, according to Soviet propaganda, their highest ethical duty to do so. The true Soviet hero was not the infantryman who bravely fell defending a wounded comrade, but the uniformed thug who could wrest a handful of grain from a starving child, load it onto a city-bound truck, and feel nothing. Versatile tools were valued above virtuous men. And Grayson Quay points out here that for the Nazis and Soviets alike, the ends justified the means. To refuse to participate in the necessary massacres was to betray the utopian future, be it Aryan hegemony or proletarian liberation. Conscience is weakness. To follow it is cowardice. A clean conscience is a self-serving luxury. It might make you feel good, but it does nothing to advance the cause. It profits a man nothing if he forfeits the whole world, but retains his soul. Wow, that is just a mirror image of what I understand to be right. Now, Grayson Quay says this ethical system is the exact opposite of that preached by Jesus Christ. For Jesus, the means, I'm sorry, the ends did not justify the means. It would be more accurate to say that for him, the means justify the ends. He instructed his followers to store up treasures in heaven. After all, any project, no matter how nobly utopian in aim, will inevitably be hijacked or corrupted by human imperfection. A transcendent ethic can restrain our earthly ambitions and encourage us when we fall short of them. The true value of an action, Jesus taught, is not the effect it has on the world around you, but the kind of person it makes you into. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Kind of different in that light, isn't it? So Grace and Quay says, in the end, it is the meek, not the shrieking violets or the shrinking violets, rather, that the word meek typically brings to mind, but those who refuse Himmler's order to sacrifice their souls on the altar of progress, who will gain the whole world. The kingdom of God is not a political ideology. It's a community of souls who have been conformed to the image of Christ. Now, of course, not everyone overtly professes to follow either Christ or Himmler, but anyone who feels instinctively that conscience matters and that some crimes are unjustifiable regardless of their results 
is on the side of Christ in this this dispute, rather, whether they accept his messianic claims or not. Grayson Quay concludes by saying, it's common to hear Christ's followers derided for being too otherworldly. But he says the truth of the matter is much more paradoxical. Anyone whose only goal is to create heaven on earth by any means necessary is more likely to turn earth into hell. Only those who conduct their earthly work with an eye on the objective goodness of heaven can serve the world, even turn it upside down without destroying it. So I'm going to ask you to keep that in mind. And think about that as you hear some of the different news reports that are going to be coming forward, uh, particularly as uh, this coming Sunday is Easter Sunday. Ammon Bundy is one person who is going to be uh, enabling people to uh, to attend a worship service at a warehouse of his on private property and in defiance of a stay-at-home order by the governor of Idaho. You're going to hear some interesting things. You're going to hear some accusations that are going to be really harsh. I'm encouraging you to consider, though. Is he really just trying to uh, to gain, you know, something of the world here? Or is there a higher law and a higher reason for what he's doing? See, I think a lot of people are really trapped in this idea that, well, but if, if, if it spreads any illness, if somebody gets sick, if somebody dies, that's the worst possible thing that can happen. And at the risk of sounding like a complete contrarian, I'm telling you, it is not the worst thing that could happen. And I think Ammon sees it very clearly. The worst thing that can happen is for enough people to be so malleable in their convictions and in their beliefs, and I mean their deepest beliefs, like like how they would worship God, that they would allow someone in a position of temporary earthly authority to assume control of that and tell them what they can and cannot do, how they can and cannot worship, when they can and cannot leave their homes. I understand the fear. Nobody wants to get sick. Nobody wants to to suffer, possibly die, or worse, infect somebody else and know, yeah, I brought that uh, germ or I brought that virus into my home. But if you can't see that there are people who are taking advantage, who are willing to step over corpses in a very real sense to assume control over people that they have no right, no legitimate authority to control, What do you do? At some point, you've got to stand up and be counted. All right. Have a great weekend. Have a wonderful Easter. I hope it's meaningful for you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll talk to you again on Monday. 